Welcome to the Gateway Scottsdale audio podcast. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv. Now, let's tune in for this week's message. We are in the middle of a series entitled Needy by Design, which might scare some people off, but what we're talking about is the fact that God created you to be needy, and the sooner you own that, the healthier you will be. The sooner you own the fact that you were created with needs, the more healthy you will be, because you will be more open to making sure those needs God created you to have are being met. And in this series, we're walking through the six major areas of life. And one of the things I've learned about this series so far is we're having more people respond in altar ministry than any series we've done before. But having said that, what it seems like to me, the people for whom the message is best suited to, in other words, the people who are struggling a little bit in that area of their life, they're responding very well. But then on the other side of the coin, it kind of feels like the people who, who look and say, oh, I'm doing great in this area, check out a little bit in the message. And so today, as we talk about the relational aspect of your life, I'm going to ask you to do something. If you feel like you're doing really well in the relational aspect of your life and the things we're talking about, the relational pillars you've got in several of your uh, friendships, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to evaluate yourself based on the pillars we're talking about. So what I'm talking about is everybody needs a friend who has these five pillars and brings these five pillars into their life. But if you're, you feel like, oh, I'm doing great in this area, that's awesome, excellent, and, and that might be many of you. But what I want you to do is evaluate yourself based on this list. How are you doing as this type of friend for the friends in your life? And if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to one spot and we're only gonna read one verse in that one spot, Genesis chapter two. Genesis chapter two. And while you're turning there, I'm going to make a statement that uh, for some of you might seem like I'm challenging you theologically. I'm not challenging your theology with this statement, but I assure you, your ideology will be challenged with this statement. And here it is. God is completely okay with you needing more friends than just him. Have you ever had that one friend who wanted you to be their only friend and wanted you to be, uh, wanted them to be your only friend? It's called an insecure friend. They can't handle you having other friends. That's what it's like in junior high. Okay, let's get this right, right on the table from the get-go. God is not an insecure junior high friend, all right? And I'll show it to you in scripture. Genesis chapter two, verse 18. Now think about this before I read this to you. God has just gotten on a hot streak of creating things and then pointing at it, looking at it and saying, oh, that's good. Then he creates something, oh, that's good. Oh, I'm good at this. That's good and that's good and that's good and that's good. And then we get to Genesis 2, verse 18, and he makes the that's not good statement. And let's see what he says that about. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. So I will make a helper 
who is just right for him. Now, in the next couple of verses, God brings all the animals to Adam to see if any of them are suitable helpers. And three verses later, Scripture says, and amongst the animals, there was not a suitable helper found for Adam. So then he moves to the next plan, puts him to sleep. We know the rest of the story, and I'm not about to tell the whoa, man joke that every preacher under the sun tells when they read Genesis 2. I'm not going to do it, all right, because I was raised with that stuff, and it's cheesier than cheesy, all right? I want to ask you this question, though. Was Adam alone when God made the statement, "Mm, it is not good for man to be alone? Was he actually alone? Who was he with? Whoa. Hold on just a second. You're telling me Adam was in the presence of God. And God looked at that setup and said, there's more. It's not good for man to be alone. He needs someone to fellowship with just like him. Okay, some of us in the church world, we have actually created a theology that says, all I need is God. Adam Adam needed more than God, but not me. All I need is God. Okay, that's not even theologically accurate because Jesus said you can't even get to the Father without Jesus. So it's not enough. God created us to need relationship. Here's another way to say it. God created you for relationship and relationships for you. And he is completely okay with you needing more friends than just him. And as we walk through this message, one of the things I hope you understand is that isolating yourself is dangerous. Let me show it to you in scripture. Proverbs chapter 18, verse one. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. In other words, whoever pushes themselves away, they push away from people and they put up walls around their heart and their life to keep people out. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9 says, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in really good shape. It doesn't say that. Someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Listen, I get it. I understand we live in a fallen world and many of us have been hurt by friends. And so we put up walls. And truthfully, the picture the Lord gave me that this message was for some people who have been hurt by other people. And when they were hurt, they put up walls around their heart and around their life to keep not just people out, but to keep from being hurt again. But here's the problem. The only thing worse than being hurt by a friend is not having any. Because you were created to need them. God created you to need relationship. So I'm gonna give you five pillars. There are more, but five pillars that are required in every healthy relationship. And a healthy relationship is a relationship God created you to need 
and use for fuel to be able to do what he created you to do, all right? So here's the first pillar. They're committed to you. Shockingly, a pillar of friendship is that the person be committed to you. Commitment is constant support. God created you to have some people. Maybe it's two, maybe it's five, maybe it's even more than that. It's not gonna be 100, but God created you to need the constant support of friends. When I came out here, I was moving 1,000 miles away from my friends and friends that I had spent uh, almost 15 years developing very deep friendship with. And it was very difficult for me to come out here. And one of the things one of my friends said was, listen, no matter what happens, it doesn't matter how good things go, it doesn't matter how bad things go, it doesn't matter if this doesn't go after 12 months. There's no trouble you can find yourself in that I'm not gonna help you out of. I will always be there for you. Here's what happens when someone makes a strong commitment to you. Your confidence goes up. When someone says, hey, I'm with you, no matter what, I'm with you. Not just someone who says, I do, and listen closely. I love my wife, and I am so grateful for her. But it's dangerous to put my relational needs, all of my relational needs, on that woman. One person cannot fulfill all of your relational needs. And it's amazing. It's one thing when my wife says, I do, in sickness and in health, it's just as incredible if someone else who's not married to you, several of my best friends have made that type of commitment to me. It's amazing what happens to your confidence, your strength, your health, your perspective when someone makes a commitment to you and says, no matter what you go through, I'm gonna be with you. Galatians chapter six, verse two says, bear one another's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. Carry it together. If I had the time, I, I would have had Pastor Brad come up again this weekend, and since our, our picture last week, I would have showed you how silly it is to try and carry your burdens by yourself. God created you to need to share the weight with others. Now, commitment has a very specific sound, and some of you might call it latchy. When you hear what commitment actually sounds like, because many of us have never truly experienced this kind of commitment before, the tendency is to look at commitment and its communication and say, huh, that's latchy. But I'm gonna show you just how incredible committed communication, what it sounds like. Listen to what Ruth says to Naomi in Ruth chapter one, verse 16. And this is a very special passage for me and for Holly because this is what I used to propose to her. So if you're looking to get engaged this Christmas, take the next couple of verses and wrap. Your, you wanna see that girl melt? Quote this right here, all right? Ruth chapter one, verse 16. But Ruth said to Naomi, entreat me not to leave you. Don't ask me to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, there I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me. Or the way I memorized it, if anything less than death separates me from you, let something far worse than death be my punishment. 
Here's the question. Would you like to have a friend that talks to you like that? Okay, good. No one does. It's great. Would anyone like a friend who talks to you like that? That's good. If you didn't raise your hand, I would bet money you've been hurt before because you were created to need a friend to talk to you like that. God designed you that way for committed relationship. Here's the second pillar. They're gracious with you. Imagine that. They're not just committed to you. They're gracious with you. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. Have you ever seen that friend, maybe it's at a, a Christmas party or, or a gathering of people, and you see that one friend tell embarrassing stories about their other friend in front of everybody else? You ever, you ever seen that before? Okay, if you're sitting next to someone who's done that to you, punch them in the side right now, okay? Where they just, they kind of make fun of a friend and they talk about mistakes that they made and they say things like, hey, in front of people, hey, you remember that time where you really messed up and, and you, you crashed into the wall or whatever and, and they're trying to kind of embarrass the person. Maybe you even have someone in your own family that talks about you that way in front of the rest of the family that makes light of some of your mistakes. Let me help you understand something. Here's why they make light of your failures because they're 10 times more embarrassed of theirs than they are yours. God created you to need gracious friends. Friends who will, here's the best way to say it. A godly friend is not someone who will keep bringing up that which God committed to remember no more. God looks at your sin and says, I choose to remember that no more. Listen, a godly friend is not someone who walks right over there and goes, hey, remember when you did this stupid thing? That's not a friend. That's an enemy making light of your mistakes. And we've all messed up. You need gracious people in your life. Now, if you're the mean one, if you find yourself making light of other people's mistakes, I want you to listen to this next passage, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of all rage. Get rid of all anger. Get rid of all harsh words. Get rid of all slander. Get rid of all types of evil behavior. Instead of those things, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as Christ, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Well, Preston, the reason I kind of am so hard on my friends when they mess up is they need to understand just how bad what they did really was. Okay, they already know how bad it was. They already feel badly about what they've done. They don't need to feel shame because you heap it on them. God created them to need gracious friends. And if you don't bring grace into the room, you were trying to drag their faults, failures, mistakes, and sin back into the room when God covered it with the blood of his son. You need gracious friends. The problem is, 
in this day and time, you see a lot of people who settle in this area and because they have such a low perspective of themselves, they actually reinforce that low evaluation of themselves by surrounding themselves with people who are a little bit mean, who are not gracious, who remind them of their faults, who remind them of their past sin. Listen, don't be that kind of a friend. When, when a friend has done wrong, they know it. And look what scripture says when you have a friend who's done wrong, who's in sin. Look what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, about how to approach it. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should get angry, should embarrass them. No, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. That's what graciousness looks like. Hey, you messed up. It's okay. Here, come over here. Come over here. Let's get back on the right path, and I'll go with you. Instead of making light of what was done. Here's the third pillar. You need a friend you can be vulnerable with. You need a friend you can be vulnerable with. Vulnerability is essential to intimacy. I'll tell you something else vulnerability is essential to. Victory. You'll be hard-pressed to experience victory in your life if you can't be vulnerable in that area of your life. We've got to be vulnerable. But I understand we fight vulnerability because the world teaches us that if we're vulnerable, people will take advantage of our vulnerability. Well, to an extent that is true. But we cannot live our lives based upon how everyone else is going to take our doing the right thing. We look at vulnerability, some of us, and we see it as weakness if people take advantage of it. Well, here would be my question. The single greatest show of strength in all of human history, was it also simultaneously the single greatest show of vulnerability in all of human history? When Jesus went to the cross, being fully God and fully man, he could have jumped off that cross if he wanted to. He stayed there, made himself completely vulnerable to the point of death. Yes, people took advantage of him, but the very people that took advantage of him, he was dying to save. Can you be vulnerable with the people closest to you? Or do you have this whole frenemy mentality? You're my friend, but you're kind of my competition. So I can't be vulnerable with you because you might use it against me one day. Okay, that's a miserable way to live, all right? That's like playing ping pong in your own head, all right? Back and forth. Listen, one of my favorite things about getting to be me is I have some people that are very safe people that I can be very vulnerable with. And, and think about this. I think sometimes we have a tendency to look at one another and say, oh, they're amazing, they're strong, and, and I bet they don't have many weaknesses, and they're just dominating and all that stuff. Let me show you what Scripture says about all of us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. We now have this light, speaking of the light of Christ, shining in our hearts, but we ourselves, speaking of all of us, are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. You are like a fragile clay jar that contains the light of Christ. You're not some 
highly expensive vase. You are a fragile clay jar and so am I. Sometimes I think we, we listen more to the words of the world that try and say to us, listen, you gotta, you gotta carry yourself, you gotta be strong, don't ever show weakness. Listen, I sleep a lot better when I walk around and everybody understands I'm just a fragile clay jar. Starting with my own wife and children. I cannot stand when I feel like my wife and my kids put me on a pedestal. Because I don't know if you know this, there's only one way to go on a pedestal, that's down. I was not designed to be on a pedestal. And listen, as a pastor, I heard this years ago from a very godly man and he said, Preston, the only way to never fall is to live life on your face. You cannot fall off of a ladder you refuse to climb. Now God can promote you, but if you live on your face, it's a lot harder to fall. Okay, that's how a fragile jar of clay processes. You were created to be vulnerable. So here about my question. How consistently are you vulnerable with the people closest to you that are safe? Now I'm not telling you to be vulnerable with the person who's going to take what, whatever you confess and use it against you, okay? That's an unsafe person, all right? But for those few safe friends that you have, how often are you vulnerable with them? How often when they ask you how you're doing, are you actually honest? And instead of saying, I'm doing well, you tell them, I'm not doing very well. I'm struggling in some area of my life. God made you to be vulnerable. Now I wanna show you how this looks in scripture and I wanna show it to you with someone who is revered by most of us. A person who is, is talked about as being the greatest king in the history of Israel. A person who's talked about as being the greatest warrior in scripture. And I want you to see what vulnerability looks like. It has an uncomfortable vibe to it when it's done right. You know who I'm talking about? I'm talking about King David. Before he was king, 1 Samuel chapter 20, his best friend Jonathan and David come up with a, a, a secret code to communicate to David out hiding in the field whether Saul was angry enough to kill him. And they come up with a secret code of, of arrows and, and the young boy coming after the arrows. And when they're done with that, look at what happens. Verse 41 of 1 Samuel chapter 20. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times before Jonathan. Okay, now remember, they both knew David was going to be the next king. Even though Jonathan was the son of the king, they both knew David was going to be the next king. God had declared it to be so. And yet David bows humbly before Jonathan. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Now this is a verse that makes a lot of people in church very uncomfortable. And here's how incredibly ignorant many of us are related to intimate, vulnerable, non-sexual human relationship. We are so ignorant that we read that verse and go, they were for sure gay. I've heard it preached in pulpits that they were. And yet, 
Scripture says they made a covenant, a solemn pact before God. Here's the problem. The reason many pastors preach that David and Jonathan had an unnatural sexual relationship with one another, which is not scriptural. The reason they preach that, here's here's what I would put my money on. They have never experienced a relationship as intimate and vulnerable as David and Jonathan. And so they speak against it. Now, all of you know, if you've been here for any amount of time, I've got several people in my life that I feel this way about. Tim Ross was just here several weeks ago and preached. We've been like David and Jonathan for almost eight years now. He's my best friend. The first time we went to lunch, four hours we spent together, we were holding hands. I don't know that I'd ever held hands in a public place with a man. We were praying at Cheesecake Factory, both of us weeping in front of everybody. And I'm sure there were people laughing at us, but I went out to my truck, called my wife, and I said, I just met myself. I just spent four hours talking to myself. I have never met anyone like this before. I don't even hardly know this man, but I know God created him to be with me and me to be with him. That's all I know right now, and I was weeping. Okay, let me talk to the men for a moment. You see that David wept the most. He took the most vulnerable position. Let me talk to the men just for a minute. How long has it been since you have wept in the presence of another man? How long has it been? For some, the answer is, uh, never. I've never cried in front of another man because I was raised to believe that tears were a sign of weakness. Jesus wept. Are you calling him weak? I sure hope not. Ladies, how often are you so vulnerable with your frenemy? That person that you love with all your heart, but you're a little bit insecure, and so you kind of find yourself competing with them a little bit more than you should. And so when you really feel the need to be vulnerable and to cry, you hold back because you don't want to show weakness to that friend. You always want to have the upper hand. Listen, that's not friendship. That's competition. You were created with a need to be vulnerable with more than just God and more than just your spouse. And we see it in scripture. David and Jonathan had that kind of relationship. But here's the problem. If you don't feel safe enough to be vulnerable, you will never feel safe enough to confess. And if you don't feel safe enough to confess, you won't confess. And if you won't confess, you will never experience the healing your heart needs. James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your sins one to another, to each other, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. If you cannot be vulnerable with a few people in your life, you better get used to carrying your weights alone. It isn't until we are vulnerable that people truly come alongside and say, oh, you need some help here, here, come on, here. Put that on my back, put that on my shoulders. Thank you for feeling safe enough and trusting me enough to be vulnerable, but let me help here, put it on my back. Let me carry it for a while. If you never feel safe enough to be vulnerable, all you're doing is increasing the weight you are personally carrying all by yourself. Here's the fourth pillar. You need people that will be honest with you. You need people that will be honest with you. 
This is one of the things I love the most about my closest relationships. They're honest with me. Think about it. Which would you rather have? Someone who will tell you what you want to hear or someone who will tell you what you need to hear? Okay, of course, the right thing to say is, I want people who will tell me what I need to hear. But is that the real truth about you? Do you struggle to have people who are honest around you, who will tell you what you need to hear? I mean, think about this. Well, let's just take me and, and Brad as an example, okay? One of my best friends. Do I want him to be the kind of friend who sits on the front row as I preach and when my, and this might be, since it's a little more than G-rated for some of you, it may stretch you a little bit, but do I want the kind of friend that if I stand up to preach and my zipper is down, do I want the kind of friend who will sit there and, and every time I look over him being like, oh, that's so good, oh, that's good, or do I want him to be the kind of friend that sits over there and awkwardly says, Of course I would be embarrassed if I had to turn around and zip up. Which is worse though, not doing so? Listen, God's given you some people in your life to help you zip up. There's another way to say it. One of the worst feelings in the world is feeling exposed. And one of the best things a friend does is help you cover not hide, cover. You need friends who will be honest with you. Proverbs chapter 27, verse five says, an open rebuke is better than hidden love. In other words, better for Pastor Brad if, if he can't get my attention to run up to the front of the stage and whisper, hey bro, turn around, your fly's down. Better for him to break in than let it keep going. An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. And one of the best stories of this in scriptures in 2 Samuel chapter 12. David has just had Uriah killed. He slept with Bathsheba. He was trying to cover it up. His sin keeps getting worse and worse and worse, trying to cover up the first sin. And Nathan comes to him and tells him a story about a couple of lambs. Just some, about a lamb. Just, let's talk about sheep for a second. And he lulls David into a story that's actually about David sleeping with Bathsheba, stealing Bathsheba, and killing Uriah. But David has no idea. And listen to his response. Verse 5, David was furious at this story. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He's talking about himself without even knowing it. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. That's a good friend right there. You are that man. That was not opinion, that was fact, honesty. There are times in your life where you cross a line and you need someone to be honest with you about getting back to the other side. Have you created an atmosphere where the people closest to you can be honest with you about you. So many times in my life, this has been my normal for years. And, and while Pastor Robert is a mentor and is my hero, he's also become a very, very good friend. 
And for many years, my life consisted of coming up and doing what you saw Pastor Doug do, overseeing a service, and then I would sit down, and before I could even sit down, he would say, hey, that that was really good, but that one thing that you did, don't ever do that again. That was not good, okay? You didn't even realize what you said was so wrong. He, He was helping by being honest. It's how you get stronger, is receiving an honest assessment, not opinion, an honest assessment of where you are. Can you handle people being honest with you? Because the healthiest friendships demand honest communication about one another with one another. Here's the fifth pillar. They sacrifice for you. The best friends sacrifice for you. A couple of years ago, I went through something really, really tough out here. And... I, you know, when you go through some tough stuff, you just convince yourself, I'm going to be all right, it's good, I'm great, I'll push through it. And within about five hours, uh, three of my closest friends from Dallas, uh, Pastor Tom Lane, Pastor Galen Lachey, and Tim Ross, were on an airplane, came out here, showed up at my house and sat with me while my wife cried, while I cried, while I tried to figure out how I was going to go preach two hours later. My friends sacrificed everything, got on a plane last minute to come support me. Here's one of the things that I've learned about sacrifice. When a friend makes a big sacrifice for you, it's one of the best feelings on the planet. Because when a friend makes a big sacrifice for you, you are able to see how big their love is for you. The people you love most need to see how much. They don't need just to hear how much you love them. They need to see. And the best way to see love is through sacrifice. That's what Jesus said. He said in John chapter 15, verse 12, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says, by this we know love that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Something happens when a friend makes a sacrifice. You may have a friend in your life that's going through a difficult time. One of the most encouraging things that could happen in their life right now is not a kind text. One of the greatest things that could happen in their life right now is an extravagant sacrifice on your part. It's one of the beautiful things about God looking at you and saying, let me help you understand just how much I love you. I'm going to sacrifice my one and only son to die for you. That's how much I love you. Okay, scripture plainly says, that's how we know what love is and we are also commanded to love in the same way, laying our lives down for others. For many, many years, I believed a really big lie. And the lie was, you measure the strength of a man by what he can do alone. Almost 20 years later, 
I have come to learn the truth. That's not how you measure the strength of a man or a woman. The way you measure the strength of a man, the strength of a woman, is by what they refuse to do alone. But I know there are some in this room who have been so hurt in the past that they've put up the strongest of walls to keep everyone out so as to never be hurt like that again. If that's you, I've been there. Years ago, I fell in love with someone that I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with. I thought this was the closest friend I will ever have. And I went off to college out here, leaving Texas, in the first semester of college for me. This girl gets engaged to someone else and didn't even break up with me. I was the man in high school. Who does that? I told my parents, I told God, this is the person I'm gonna marry. And I go off to school. I gave my heart to this person. I go off to school, and she gets engaged to somebody else. It broke my heart in a way I never thought I would experience. And it didn't just affect my love life, it affected my friendships. The day I found out, I put up the strongest and sturdiest of walls. And basically made an inner vow, no one will ever hurt me like that again. And so for almost two years, I pushed back anyone and everyone from getting close to me because of the fear of being hurt. You know what was worse? If you compared my heart being broken in that moment or the two years I spent isolated by myself, I will tell you a hundred times out of a hundred, what was worse was being all by myself, pushing away the people I needed in my life. Listen to me, if you've been hurt in your past, and it's why you're struggling in this area a little bit, it's not because you can't get friends, it's because you really, in your heart, don't want them because you're afraid to be hurt again. I want you to hear me. You may have made it this far by yourself, but you are limping far worse than you think because God created you to need relationship not just with him, but with others. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Gateway Church, please visit our website at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv.